Welcome back to the Great Western Woods. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about world building in general and then we'll move on to one of my favourite parts of world building which is making the map. So there are a few different ways that you can approach world building. Probably the most usual is to create a whole new fictional world. Um, so this is going to be mainly if you're writing fantasy or science fiction. So you're creating an entire world completely from scratch that doesn't exist, has never existed and that nobody else knows about. So you'd be thinking along the lines of either Middle Earth or Narnia, something like that. Another way you can do world building is to take a real place and give it either an alternative past or an alternative future. Now this is something quite common in dystopia or post-apocalyptic genres. So you take a real existing place, say for example London, and you put it into an alternative past. So for example you might decide that the Great Fire of London was actually started by dragons or you put it into an alternative future, which, like I said, this is where we go down the dystopia or post-apocalyptic route. Now, when it comes to maps for that, basically your the basis for your map is already done for you because you're basing it on a real place. But there's likely to be some differences. So there may be some famous landmarks that are missing or there may be some new landmarks or place names may have changed, things like that. Or the actual, um, the physical landscape may be slightly different, say for example if London is half underwater. And another way that you can approach world building is to take a real place again, but build a parallel fictional world. So, you've got a real place and then you've got a fictional world created alongside it which is usually invisible or hidden from the general public they don't know about it so you you're talking about something like neil gaiman's neverwhere or like harry potter or like hellboy but whichever world building approach you're using your objective is still exactly the same and that is to create a believable world that your readers can really imagine walking around in because when we write we want our readers to be immersed to keep turning the page and that's why we have to do world building because it's all of the little hows and the whys that make your world believable even if there are a lot of facts that never actually make it into the final book or story, because remember, good world building is just as important for short stories as it is for full novels. So like I said, one of my favourite parts of world building is making the map. Now, honestly, you do not need to be an amazing artist to do this, okay? When you're writing, it's only for your reference. So even a childlike scrawl on the back of an envelope is good enough as long as it makes sense to you and you don't end up getting lost in your own world, which is surprisingly easy actually because if your characters are travelling from A to B and one minute B is west of A and then it's suddenly south of A, or if B is a coastal town one minute and then it suddenly changes to a village in the mountains, 
your readers are going to notice and it will drag them out of the story. And worse, they will call you up on it publicly. It will happen. Okay. So you don't want to get lost in your own world. And like I say, it is surprisingly easy to do that. So for the case of while you're writing, your map doesn't have to be amazingly beautiful. It only needs to be useful to you so that you don't get lost. Because if you want to include a map in your final book, as a lot of speculative fiction authors do, there are places that you can go and you can find people to draw a very, very beautiful map for you. And it's not necessarily that expensive. There are people on Fiverr who are making gorgeous maps, okay? So don't let the fact that you're not an amazing artist ever stop you from creating your own world or drawing your own map. So let's think about the layout of your map, okay? You, this is something you really need to consider. You don't just draw a squiggly line to make a country and then just randomly scatter towns across it, okay? It's because it's not believable because that isn't how things happen. Towns don't just spring up for absolutely no reason. So imagine you're choosing a place to establish a town. There are certain things that you need that the people in your town need. So what considerations do you need to make? Now, if you're talking about life as we know it on earth, then it's quite clear what the people in your town need. If you're talking about um, an alien world and you have an alien race that aren't the same biologically as humans, then you've got a lot more liberty to make up what works. But if you're creating rules, make sure every single town sticks to it. So if there is something that your alien race needs, say, just for example, they need limestone to exist, then you need to be placing your towns where there is a good limestone source. Okay, so let's talk for a moment as if we're talking about human beings as we understand them, okay? So the absolute most important thing for where you choose to establish towns, they must have a fresh water source, okay? Whether that's a huge river or just a tiny little spring, okay? They absolutely need fresh water because obviously without fresh water, the humans are going to die, their animals are going to die and they won't be able to grow crops, so talking of crops, the next thing they need is a varied food source. Now we know that if you tried to exist on only one kind of food, you would most likely make yourself incredibly ill because our bodies need a whole range of proteins and minerals and vitamins to survive properly and be healthy. So you need to choose a place that has a varied food source or the right sort of conditions for them to create their own varied food source. I mean, straight off, if you've got a nice fresh water source there, you've got, you probably got fish. So that's a good, always good starting block. Another thing that you need to consider is the natural resources because these people need to build homes and shelters. They need fences to keep their animals in. They also need to make their belongings and things that they can trade. Okay, so think about the natural resources and 
how valuable they are to them for the sake of living their own lives and for the sake of trading with other people. You also need appropriate land for growing crops and raising animals. Now, this isn't going to be the same. You, you don't need wide, flat meadows for growing food and keeping animals, okay? You need them for growing certain food and keeping certain animals, but people can survive just as well on the kind of crops that need only shallow earth on the side of a mountain and they can raise goats quite happily on the side of a mountain. Okay, so think beyond flat meadows. You can put your towns in lots of different places as long as they can grow crops and keep animals there. So another consideration is both access and security. Okay, so building a village on the top of a very, very thin, steep mountain, like a spinnacle of a mountain, may make them very secure, but it's going to make access incredibly difficult. These people need to be able to get to and from their homes. They also probably need to get to and from them carrying stuff. I mean, when the town is first established, they've got to get building materials to that town. So, Maybe if they have dragons who can fly or they maybe maybe if you're creating a steampunk world and everyone travels around by hot air balloon, that would be pretty cool. Um, and you could put these mountains in the, on these tiny needle like mountains, then absolutely fine. As long as it makes sense in your world and you have an answer for everything, because Every single thing you build, you've got to ask yourself, why is it like that? And you've got to have that because. Okay, so another important thing to think about is trade routes. Uh, it is going to be very unlikely that any town has absolutely everything that they need, either the, everything that they need now or everything that they will need in the future. Okay, so they're going to have to trade with other people both buying stuff in and selling stuff to make money. So think about the trade routes. That also comes back to the access point as well. So you need to be able to travel between towns. And another consideration you need to think about is predators. Okay, what predators are in the area and would it be safe enough for people to um, live in? And you're not just talking about creatures like wolves or lions if your people um, grow a lot of carrots and vegetables then a, a huge population of rabbits could ad absolutely decimate them or also insects okay so you've got to think about predators both to the people the animals and their crops and and their buildings as well you know, because you, you, you could have a predator that comes in and destroys their buildings. So those are a whole load of considerations that you need to make because people, by and large, are going to choose the easiest option. OK, so wherever they build their ha town, it's going to be the easiest place for them to survive unless there are benefits that outweigh the dangers or the struggles of living in that particular place. So 
For example, you might consider it a foolish move to establish a town right in the middle of a dragon breeding ground, okay? That sounds like a pretty dangerous place to live. But then think, what if just one single dragon scale, which could be something that they naturally shed anyway, if you could sell just a single dragon scale for a price that could feed your family for three months, okay? So suddenly the dangers and the struggles of of living within a dragon breeding ground you know there are ben there could be benefits that outweigh those dangers so absolutely by and large people will choose the easiest option unless there are very specific benefits that outweigh doing that so let's talk about naming places i love naming places remember it's not just towns and cities that need names. So depending on how big your map is and how much of an area it covers, you might be naming mountain ranges, rivers, forests, counties, whole countries, oceans, entire continents, or even total planets. Because if you're setting your world out in space, you may have entire planets that you need to name. And just like the places on your map aren't randomly just placed anywhere, you need to think about where they are. Likewise, they're not just randomly named, okay? There are lots of different ways that we name our towns. So they could be named after the founder of the town or the landscape or the natural resources that are there or the wildlife or the river or mountain that they're close to. Or they might be named after a local myth or legend. So those are loads of different ideas for you to think about. And the other thing to remember is that names of places change over time. So, for example, I grew up in a small town in Devon called Ashburton. And it was the town on the river Ashburn. So originally it was called Ashburn town and just over the years it's got those two words have got smushed together people have got lazy as they are and it's changed to Ashburton. Place names may well also change when countries are invaded um, because sometimes the language can change when countries are invaded also, local people might have a different name for a place than the official name or what other people call it, or they may have a different pronunciation of that name. And it is worthwhile, if you're ever driving around somewhere that, with a sat-nav on, look at the road names as they come up on the screen that you're passing by, particularly if you're out in the countryside when there, where there aren't any road signs. So where we used to live in Devon, there was a country lane there called Coffin Tree Hill and there was another one called Scratch Face Lane and they, those two places always used to get me really imagining loads and loads of stories as to why they, could, they might be called that. We also lived very near to a village called Black Dog and that was a place that was named after a local myth um, about a giant dog that protected an underground tunnel. So your place names can conjure up all sorts of stories 
all by themselves. So through the future podcast, obviously the creating the history of your world is going to be a humongous topic that I'm going to be covering a lot, lot more. But I just wanted to talk really quickly about it in relation to making your maps because the history of the world will have a big impact on the map. Okay, so things will have happened that may have created new towns or got rid of towns. You've got natural disasters that change the landscape. Um, And like I said, you can name places after things that happen. Like you'll get a lot of towns or areas that are named after famous battles that happened there. So even when you're just at the stage of laying out your map, the history of the world does have a very big impact on there. Now, I'm not saying that you need to plot out the past five million years worth of history unless you're into that some people actually are that's fine um but you definitely need to know enough of the history to understand why things are the way they are in the time period that you're actually writing about okay and you also need to remember that every time something changes it affects everything else. So let me elaborate on that a little bit. There are different levels at which an event can occur. So one is international events. So these are events that affect the entire world. So this examples of that would be like climate change, population explosion, the sun dying or a zombie apocalypse. So that's international events that affect the entire world. Next level down is national events. These are some that's something that affects a country or a large area. So that might be an economic crash or a natural disaster or death of a monarch. Next level down, you have local events that affect a town or a community. So here you'd be talking about harvest failure, a flood a local election happening or the introduction of a new predator. And then below that, you have individual events. So these are things that affect one person or family. Um, So bereavement, loss of employment, loss of home, births, marriages, things like that. So it's kind of obvious how an international event that happens to the entire world affects everything else. So I'm pretty sure that a worldwide zombie outbreak would affect you and your family on an individual level. But what about the other way around? Can an individual event have a much more wide-reaching impact? So imagine that there's a family preparing for a wedding, which of course is an individual event. They order a whole load of wine from the next village. Okay, that gives the farmer who grows the grapes enough money to finally live out his dream of buying a boat and exploring the seas. And then when the winter rains come, the lack of the vineyard on the hillside, because he has left, that causes a landslip which demolishes the mining town below, which leads to a shortage of minerals, which leads to a shortage of coins, which results in a huge economic crash. So, I mean, obviously that's a very extreme example, but 
it's important to think about that butterfly effect. So the ripples that you're sending out when you're creating your world and when you're writing within your world, okay, you're sending out ripples and that's ripples both in the now, in the present time, and the ripples from the past get sent into the future as well, okay? So ripples happen over time as well. You can also use your world building to create conflict. Remember that conflict is created when your protagonist goal is interrupted or opposed and you can actually use your physical and um, the infrastructure of your world to do that, to create that conflict. So perhaps the most obvious example of this is if the protagonist's goal requires them to break the law but you can use other things too. So limitations of magic or social norms and expectations or gender roles or the actual landscape itself can become a physical barrier if your protagonist needs to travel a long way, particularly if they're traveling maybe over a desert or a mountain range, that becomes particularly difficult. The weather might create conflict or a lack of resources. And you can use your world building to raise the stakes against your protagonist to increase the tension in your story. Because your world doesn't exist separately from the people who live it, live in it. And you should create it with those people always in mind. And they will have opinions about everything. They'll have beliefs, hopes, grievances. There'll be things about their world that they love, things that they hate, things that they want to change, things that they fight to change. And these things will differ based on all of their personal nuances, so like gender, age, class, religion, and so on and so forth. So their opinions are going to be different to the person stood next to them who may even directly oppose their opinions, which is lovely, more conflict. Okay, so you've always got to remember that world building, character, story, none of these things is independent from the other. They are always all working together. And of course, this is something we're going to go far more into detail with over the course of this podcast. So that's it for now. Um, You've learned a little bit about how to lay out your world and how the choices you make will affect the people living in your world as well as the kind of story that you create with them. Bye for now.